right, there we go. Well, again, welcome to Freedom. It's great to see you here and a happy new year to you. I hope you have had a, a wonderful holiday season. I hope you had a good Christmas and a good new year. Uh, just to all the kids in the room who were sixth grade and under, uh, Please know that at this time, parents, you can release them to follow Miss Lynn around uh, to the education wing for their teaching time. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. It's always good to have you be a part of freedom in that way. And uh, for those who can be here in the room, it's always a joy to get to share in worship with you. Thanks to the worship team. Tony, great job this morning leading us in worship. You guys always do a fabulous job. Thank you for that. <clears throat> One of the... Uh, folks in the church who has become just one of my favorite people over the years and who uh, keeps me uh, dialed in by sending me appropriate uh, forwards is Tony Maniscalco. Tony's always got something good to pass along. And uh, so Tony, as a, I guess part of a, a New Year thing, sent me a forward this week. I'm just going to read you the first part of it. Uh, just for what it's worth, as we're all thinking about the new year and uh, starting to eat right and exercise and those kinds of things, I'm just going to share with you the first first six thoughts that uh, Tony passed on to me that I thought were worth remembering. <clears throat> Number one, my goal for 2018 was to lose 10 pounds and I only have 14 to go. <laughs> I can relate to that. Ate salad for dinner. Number two, it's mostly croutons and tomatoes. Well, really, it was just one big round crouton, but it was covered with tomato sauce and cheese. All right, fine. It was a pizza. Number three, those of you trying to eat healthy stuff, how to prepare tofu. A, throw it in the trash. B, grill some meat, chicken, or fish. I agree with that one. Number four, says I just did a week's worth of cardio after walking into a spider web. Number five, I don't want mean to brag, but I did finish my 14-day diet food supply in three hours and 20 minutes. Pretty good record. And sixth, finally, guys, take note. A recent study has found that women who carry a little extra weight do live longer than men who mention it. <laughs> food for thought for the new year. Well, I had intended to start a new series today. Uh, that's going to wait until next week, uh, having a little time off. This will often happen. The Lord just stirred something else that I needed to focus on today, so we're going to go there. Today is going to be a New Year's message. Um, we all need to take time in our lives, just different times through the year, when we pause to consider how we're living and where we're moving. Everybody's moving in different directions. And the truth of the matter is, in different parts of your life, you're moving in a bunch of different directions at any one time. And it's just so important that we have some times when we pause to reflect and consider, am I moving in the right directions? And where do I need to make course corrections? And so we want today to be a day, not just when we sit here and make some random resolutions that we're not going to live up to, but we're in the presence of the Lord and listening for the voice of his spirit, where we really open ourselves up and say, God, I don't want to just live my life by just whatever comes to me. I don't want to just live by my wits. I don't want to just sort of take it as it comes and make up the answers and just see where I'll end. Because, you know, the old adage, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit the target every time. The, the target of just nothing. I want my life to have direction and meaning, and I want it to line up with God's plan and his purposes. And so today, could we just in his presence open ourselves up to just take a look at different parts of our lives and ask the question, Lord, am I moving in the directions that I need to be moving? And where I'm not, would you shine some light on that? And would you give me both insight and the strength to make some Corrections. Are you with me in that? Think that's worth taking a little time to do this morning? Well, we're going to do that uh, using God's Word as our standard. And uh, I will tell you, one of the things that the Lord has said so clearly about 2019 is for Freedom Church. It is about the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. So at every turn... You are going to hear the word. You are going to be reminded to get in the word. We're going to be reading and studying God's word throughout the year together. And so when we're together, we're going to read more of the word. I hope many of you started the Through the New Testament and Psalms with us on January 1st. If you didn't, we're going to get you hooked in with that today. Uh, you, if you're already doing it, you recognized what Augustine read this morning because Psalm 3 was a part of your reading for this morning. Psalm 3 and 4 is today's reading. But uh, what we're going to dive into in the Word today is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn there with me. 
And uh, if you need to pull out your phone or your tablet to do that, that's great. I'm just going to ask you as a favor for this year to go out of your way to make sure that you bring your Bible with you. I know we've all got it in our phones and stuff, and that's great. I like to use it that way. But I want you to have a pen in hand and a Bible in the other hand as we go to the Word every week. I want you to be able to scribble and make notes and underline the things where God speaks to you and reminds you of something that you need to go back and chew on. And so it just helps, doesn't it, to have something in paper that you can write on and and hold before you. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm just going to ask you, if you will, to stand together with me just in honor of the reading of God's Word, which is a privilege for us to get to hold it and to read it and to hear it read. 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. How many of you have seen people departing from the faith? It's happening in massive numbers in America today. They will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Who listens to the teachings of demons? Well, lots of people do. There are a lot of people who stand on platforms like this with lights shining on them and cameras on them, and they hold the Bible up, and they talk from the Bible, and what they are teaching is the teaching of demons. You know what the teachings of demons sound like? They sound like the gospel. They sound like Christian preaching. They just have just enough of a turn on them to not be the truth. But it sounds like good Christian preaching. A lot of that going on today. It says they, they'll depart from the faith because they've listened to these deceitful teachings through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences have been seared. These are people who they don't even feel like they're doing anything wrong anymore to stand up and preach a version of the gospel that is not the true gospel. It's the gospel plus something. It's the gospel plus you're going to get rich. It's the gospel plus you're always going to be blessed and healthy, which is not the gospel that Jesus preached. They, they teach foolish things. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. I want to tell you last night, those beef tenderloins and duck fat whipped mashed potatoes I received with thanksgiving. So grateful we're not under the law since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. You know what we need to notice in that? We need to stop worrying that we're going to offend somebody when we point out people who are, who are lying hypocrites, who are preaching something that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're pretending to preach the truth. He says, you're being faithful when you point that out. Nourished by the words of the faith and good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Say that with me. Train yourself in godliness. Everybody's getting ready to get busy training themselves physically. He said, you better train yourself in godliness. For training of the body has limited benefit. There is value in that. But godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive. You feel the work in that. How many of you know godliness doesn't just come easy? Mm. We labor and we strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So command and teach these things. Don't let anybody despise your youth. Timothy was a young man. When the church gathered, he was probably often one of the youngest people in the room. He said, don't let them look down on you because you're young. But you set an example for the believers in five ways, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, give your attention to the public reading. He's saying literally the public reading of Scripture is exactly what we're doing right now. To exhortation, encouraging people to live out what they hear. And to teaching, clarifying what they hear. And do not neglect the gift that is in you, 
It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Such a wonderful reminder. He's saying, you remember, Timothy, you, you used to not see this giftedness in you, but you remember when the elders gathered around and they laid their hands on you and they prayed for you that the Spirit of God would be poured out in you and that His gifts would be stirred up in you. And from that moment forward, there was a power on you. There was an anointing. There was a gifting that suddenly had not been there before. And God still does the same thing when the church gathers and lays hands on one another and prays for an outpouring and something changes. He says, don't you neglect that giftedness that you have. Practice these things. Be committed to them. Everybody say, be committed. Be committed to them so that your progress, everybody say progress. Those things are tied together. You want to make progress, you've got to be committed. So that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, we come to you with open hearts, asking you to use the truth of your word and the voice and power of your spirit to now speak in a very clear way to each one of us. We want to see ourselves as you see us, the good and the bad. And we pray for grace today to be able to discern where changes need to be made. And we long for you to pour out the power for us to be able to be a different kind of people in the year and years to come. And so, Holy Spirit, you come now. You speak a fresh word to us. Change us by your power. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. The final verse that we read, Paul says, pay close attention to your life. That doesn't sound like a life lived haphazardly, does it? You've got to pay attention. You've got to have some times where you pause and reflect, where you sort of look systematically at the different parts of your life and you ask the question before the Lord, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I spending my time and energy and resources in ways that honor you? Am I investing in the relationships that you want me investing in? God, where am I getting it right and where do I need to make changes? Socrates said at his trial from which he would end up being executed, the unexamined life is not worth living. We need to have times where we pause and do exactly what Paul has said to consider your life. Pay close attention to your life. So for the next few minutes, we're just going to take time to consider five different parts of our lives. And we're going to sort of start. Not When you look at how this is numbered, it's not numbered in terms of priorities number one, two, three, four, five. But we're going to begin kind of broadly and work our way to things that at some level are increasingly important that we need to examine in our lives. So the first area that I want you to consider, and I want you, if you will, to have your outline and pen in hand, because what I want you to do is, as we're going through, I've asked the Lord to really be direct in prompting us, calling to mind specific areas that we need to give attention to, that we need to make a change. And you may need to just circle a word as we go through or jot down a phrase so that you can go back and just reflect and say, all right, God, several different things that you pointed out to me, where do we need to start? I don't want you to get overwhelmed today. You may make notes about 10 different things. You're not going to need to change 10 different things today. God is one thing that God is good about doing is he knows how to feed you an elephant one bite at a time. And, and that's what it's like when you can, if we just ever saw all that needs to change in our lives, it'd be like a herd of elephants, wouldn't it? Saying you got to eat the whole herd. But, but the Lord is so faithful. He sees all of that, but he's not freaked out. He's saying, that's all right. This week we've got a particular bite we're going to take. And the next week and the next we'll take another bite and another bite. And the, the long-term goal is what you saw in the next to last verse. If you'll be devoted to this, people will see your what? Progress. Not your perfection. Your progress. People are not encouraged by perfection. They're skeptical of, of perfection. I run from people who, who seem perfect. 
because I, I figure something's something's jacked up here. So, you know, somebody's lying if if they're portraying perfection. But I love the person who can be honest about their struggles. They can be honest about their failures, but they're honest about the fact that they are pouring themselves into the Lord and the the relationships around them, and into learning to live a godly life, training to be godly, and making progress. I want to imitate that. I, I want to hook myself up with people like that who are making progress. So with that in mind, the first area I want us to consider in terms of sorting out what matters most and where we may need to make adjustments is first consider that I need to be a positive example at work, in my neighborhood, and in my friendships. All of us are positioned with a variety of people around us and hopefully with a number of unchurched people who don't belong to the family of God. We're not going to be effective in changing the world if we don't have those kinds of connections. And the call of Scripture is pretty simple, and it is to be a positive example to those people. In First Thessalonians, Paul says this, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. I, I love that passage. Because the call from Paul is not to go be a loudmouth or to be obnoxious in shoving your faith down somebody else's throat in a way that really comes across as obnoxious. He says, lead a quiet life. The kind of life where you work hard and you take care of your business. You're not always gossiping and trying to, to force your way into other people's business. Just lead the kind of life where you set the example and other people over time watch you and they can't help but say, I sure would like to, to know that person better. I sure would like to be more like him, more like her. And he's saying, by doing that, you're going to help to draw people to Christ far more than if you wear a sandwich board that says turn or burn. <laughs> I don't know how many people have ever come to Jesus through that kind of foolishness. It's worth pausing to consider, okay, I, do I work outside the home? Am I a student? Am I stay-at-home mom or dad? You know, what, what's the position that God has me in life? What kind of example am I setting at work, at school? What do people see when they look at me? Do they see somebody who slacks, who leaves early, who comes in late, who's on their phone, on Facebook, Snapchat, half the time they're at work instead of doing their job? Or do they see somebody who takes a mindset and an attitude that sounds like what Paul's saying in Colossians 3.23 when he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, knowing that it's the Lord Christ whom you serve, not men. Then do you ever just pause to consider, what is it that's distinctly Christian about me in my job, school, or do I just look like everybody else? What sets me apart? Paul said, set an example in how you work. It's not just where we work, but we also we have a circle of people around us, from any of us in the neighborhood that we live in. Do your neighbors have an opportunity to see anything about you that would mark you as Christian? I don't mean you've got to go knock on their door with your Bible and you know, set them straight. But what do they see? Do they see somebody who cares? Do they see somebody who takes an interest in them? We have a circle of influence with people who don't already know the Lord. And just in your friendships. Maybe it's people that you see and interact with at the gym or wherever. The, the other parents that you're with when you're at your kids' ball games or grandkids' ball games. How do you behave in the presence of the world? And is there consistency between the way that you are on Sunday morning or in your small group and the way that you are when you're with your friends and neighbors. You know, we talk a lot about integrity. You realize that a whole lot of integrity is just about the idea that there is integration, thus integrity, integration between the spiritual person that I am and the person that I am on the job, at school, with my neighbors, with my friends, at the gym, and by the same person all the time. Or do I clean up my language here, but I love to laugh at and tell dirty jokes and gossip and just look and sound like the world out there? Do I need to make adjustments in how I relate to the world and how I work, how I interact there? Second area to consider as we move up the line is I have important roles in my family to serve, lead, provide, and protect. 
Now, let me just say this before I go any further in saying a word about roles within the family. Unfortunately, I don't know, maybe this is an American thing. I, I don't know if it extends beyond the American church experience. But I know in the American church, it has become increasingly a situation where it feels like involvement in church is a family experience. That is a place where families fit in and singles don't. And for the family people who are thinking, oh, you shouldn't say that. You're going to offend the single people. Trust me. What I just said is not news for any single person in the room. Nobody is more keenly aware of what I'm talking about than single people. And one of the things that I think we fail to recognize is 49% of the adult population in America is single. 49%. So half of us are singles. And there is a major problem when church feels like it's for married people. And, and it's hard to explain this. I just know it for a fact. First of all, because I went through the whole thing of divorce and being single and being involved in church for years as a single person. And it feels weird in many ways. Some of you right now can relate to what I'm talking about. It feels like so much of the message is, is about marriages and, and raising kids and all. And it's like, how about the other half of us who are out here? So let me say a word directly to all the single people in the room and those watching and listening online. You have a gigantic advantage. It's not just my opinion. Paul was very point blank about this. Being single gives you a gigantic advantage in terms of the impact that you can have on the world and for the kingdom. It's a blessing to be married. It's a blessing to have a family. But it is a disadvantage in terms of how you function in the kingdom from a time standpoint. Because there's so much time and energy that those of us who are husbands and wives and fathers and mothers need to invest in each other and in our kids. And Paul just said point blank, those of you who aren't tangled up with marriage, you have an ability to just fully devote yourself to God and to serving the Lord in ways that are so much harder for people who are married. He was speaking into a culture where people were looked at as secondhand citizens if they were single. And he's basically saying, you got this all wrong. Those people have extra value in the kingdom. So any of you who are single and who are wondering, what is it that's broken about me? Being single doesn't mean you're broken. Being single means that you are positioned for unique effectiveness in the kingdom of God in the world. Amen? Now, for all of us who have a family around us, Particularly if you're married, if you've still got kids at home, we have important roles for serving, leading, and providing there. Paul, if we read on another eight verses beyond where we stopped just now, went on to say this, But if anyone does not take care of their relatives, especially the members of their own family, they have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Could he possibly use any stronger language? He says, You don't take care of your own household. You don't take care of your own family. You're worse than a lost person. That's pretty stout. He's saying, you better do the things that God has positioned you to do. Well, what is it that he's positioned you to do? Well, obviously, to, to lead and to serve, to provide and to protect. I want to just throw out some things for you to consider in terms of, in your family, are you fulfilling those four callings? The call to protect. We're in the South, so most of the men in the room are going, well, i got a gun in my bedside table, and i got a gun in my truck, so I guess I'm protecting my family. Well, that's great for all those times when a masked man tried to break in your house. But for the other 99.99% of your life, when it wasn't a masked man, it was a demonic spirit. It was an evil influence. Are you protecting your family? Are you carrying the mantle of responsibility and of authority that God has given you as a mother or father, a husband or wife, to provide a prayer covering in taking authority and declaring that the enemy has no rights in your home, they have no rights over those under your authority, and providing a covering for them every day by taking that authority and making the enemy go? Are you protecting your family? Are you providing for your family? When you think about providing for your family... Let's just be honest. One of the biggest headaches and stresses that many, many of us carry is a financial burden. A sense of, I never make enough. 
We never get ahead. We're in a hole. I carry all this stress because of financial issues. And I'm just going to talk to you plainly. I, I get that. I know what that's like. But the truth of the matter is, for many of us, the financial stress that we feel is not because we don't make enough money. And the proof of that is that for many of us, we're making a lot more money than we used to make. And are you in a better financial position as a result of it? If the answer is no, then that's maybe good evidence that the problem is not how much money you make. It's whether or not you operate by a financial plan with what you have. Are you being responsible to provide for your family in working a plan that honors the Lord and prioritizes the things that matter with your finances? Are you serving your family? Again, I'm just going to speak to you directly. For those who are married in the room, you want to have a happier 2019? Let's just cut to the chase. We'll let this be audience participation time. How many of you would like to have a happier 2019 than 2018? Show me your hands. Anybody that doesn't have their hand up is a fool or they're asleep. Somebody punch them. (laughs) We all want a happier 2019. If you're married, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, here's the secret. You can leave after this if you want to because it will have been worth coming for this. You want a happier 2019 you find a specific way or two to start serving your spouse that you're not currently serving them, I guarantee you, you'll be happier this year. You make a happier mate, you'll have a happier life. And it ain't complicated. Men, yeah, you're going to really love this. You think of something that basically winds up being left to your wife to do, and you start doing it on a consistent basis. Washing the dishes after a meal. Consistently taking out the trash. Bathing the kids. Putting the kids to bed. We could just go on and on. That machine that you plug in and flip a switch and it goes... Did you push around the room? Figure out how to work it. Move it around the floor. Women, can I get an amen if that might actually be a blessing in your family? Yes and amen. And it it, it cuts both ways. You find a way to serve your mate, which is exactly what the Scriptures call us to do again and again. Serve one another in love. Galatians 5, don't use your freedom to satisfy your own desires, but serve one another in love. Our our favorite new show that came out this year on television is New Amsterdam. Have any of you seen New Amsterdam? I know, we're all too spiritual to watch TV, but your pastor's a pagan. I watch TV, so. Uh, but it, it's actually a good show. It's about a hospital in New York, and the guy who's the medical director is a young man, but he's got cancer, and it's his secret that he's dealing with cancer. But the thing I love about this character is everywhere he goes, it's showing all the different crises that he gets pulled into and the things that he has to address. But he's the guy in charge, but he never acts like a boss. Every situation he runs into, he always says the very same thing. It's the one line that gets repeated over and over and over in every episode. Whatever the crisis, whatever the situation, he always responds with, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? He listens to the problem, and he always comes back with, instead of saying, here's what you need to do, how can I help? To adopt an attitude where you're constantly saying, how can I help? Whether you're saying it out loud or just have a heart that says that. But, oh, by the way, it won't hurt for you every week in 2019 to say to your mate, how can I help you to have an easier week this week? What's one thing I could do for you that would make your week go more smoothly? I guarantee you, you put that into practice, you will have a happier 2019. We have a role within our family that will make a difference. Thirdly, I must love and care for myself if I am to love and serve God and others. I think a lot of times we feel like that needs to be at the very bottom of the list. But the truth of the matter is you're not going to serve anybody else well. You're not going to make the difference you're supposed to make if you're not taking care of yourself. Paul said in the passage that we read, physical training is good. In his letter to the Ephesians, he said, no one hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. So... There are things 
that we need to be evaluating in terms of how we take care of ourselves because if we're not doing these basics, we're not going to be able to be positioned to do anything else well. So I want you to write down four words or phrases for me right now. This isn't in your notes. I just want you to list these in the margin or at the bottom of your page. Here are the words I want you to write down. Rest. Exercise. Diet. And personal growth. You got those four down? Rest, exercise, diet, and personal growth. When you think in terms of, am I taking care of myself? I want you to, for just a moment, let those four things be a template. Let's start with this basic question. Do you consistently get enough rest? If you'll pay attention to it, it's amazing when you read the scriptures how much rest is a major theme of scripture. And how much God designed us with a need for rest. And when we don't get enough rest, everything gets thrown out of whack in life. Every new thing that God calls us to, he he calls us to that from a position of rest, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. If you're not getting enough rest, you're not the example, you're not the husband, you're not the wife, you're not the leader you're supposed to be. You can't. Because you're operating out of sync with the way that God made you. Some of you, the most spiritual adjustment that you could make in your life for 2019 would be to go to bed 30 minutes or an hour earlier every night and to just actually begin to discover what life is like to be rested every day instead of being on fumes. So the first question, are you getting enough rest? Secondly, are you getting the fuel that you need to actually feel good? Or are you just living off of, you know, junk and fast food and processed stuff? And I'm not here to give you, I obviously don't need to give you a lesson on how to eat. I I do plenty of that myself. But are you fueling yourself with the things that you need to? And and I would suggest if right now you're tempted to do what 80% of America always wants to do this time of year is to go on some kind of crash diet, please just don't even waste the time. Because those things aren't usually a whole lot healthier than eating junk food. If you're going to make adjustments, make adjustments that you can live with. Make adjustments that are reasonable. It's the little adjustments that you can handle long term, like saying, I'm going to eliminate sweet drinks, or I'm going to eliminate sodas, or I'm going to begin to drink this much water per day, or I'm going to eliminate desserts. It's not the stuff that turns it all upside down, and I'm going to do the bacon-only diet and just you know eat bacon and pork or whatever. You know, Although that sounds like a pretty good diet, but... Adjustments that you can live with, but fueling yourself right, exercise, Augustine already alluded to this, you know, maybe it would help to join a gym, but as many have learned, joining a gym has never burned a calorie. Going to a gym can help. Maybe the adjustment that you need to make has to do with a gym, maybe it doesn't, maybe it just needs to be that you actually get out and walk your neighborhood 30 minutes several times a week just to get your heart rate up. And by the way, if that's what you choose to do, why don't you pray while you walk? You see, you can kill more than one bird at a time to prayer walk your neighborhood and actually be getting your heart rate up while you do that. And the last thing that I asked you to list there was personal growth, personal development opportunities. We all need some margin in our lives that allows us to do the things that we just enjoy. Or that, that really broaden our horizons and, and connect us with other people and with other places. And so just in this area, I want to just ask you to consider, do you currently live your life in a way that allows you time to read what you want to read? Or to go places that you haven't been before or you haven't visited in a long time? Or to spend time with the friends who actually put something back in your tank? They're not... Emotional vampires, they're the ones who actually pour something back into you. We need this. We, we all need all of this. It's okay to start asking yourself every day, what did I do today just for me? What did I do that, that I just wanted to do? Half the women in the room, ladies, I hope you're not offended when I paint with this brush, but half of you are frustrated. Women are, are so much worse about this because you're living your life all the time to make everybody else around you happy. And there's nothing left for you. And you bless people all the time, and we're all so grateful for you. But unfortunately, you're getting burned out. What are you doing for you? Is there time for you to read or you to travel or you to be with people that you just want to be with? Okay, so what areas of adjustment? 
would be needed here in terms of taking care of yourself. A fourth area to consider. I belong to God's family. And I need to pursue deeper relationships and opportunities to serve others. I don't find many people ever, in my opinion, have a a healthy evaluation of just how a priority it is to truly belong to, to be invested in and connected to the family of God. And... I tried to be careful not to just make this an in-order list of priorities, but to some extent we are kind of climbing the mountain in things that matter. And there's a reason why the next last thing that I'm mentioning to you is what a tremendously important thing it is to consider whether you are pursuing deep relationships with people within your church family. I find it so interesting when we look at Jesus. I mean, we all call ourselves followers of Christ here. So we would think that his example counts for a lot. Well, the scripture records at least one time when Jesus' biological family, his mom and his brothers, they came looking for him. They wanted his attention, and he was in the midst of investing his time and energy with people who who had trusted and were following him. And some people finally interrupted and said, you know, that's your mom and your brothers over there who were waiting for you and wanting to talk to you. They actually wanted to do more than talk to him. They thought he had flipped his lid. They thought he had just gone off the deep end, and they were trying to reel him in and take him back home. It's like, we don't know who you think you are. We've always thought you were pretty special, but now you're like thinking you're a god or something. We're bringing you back home. And Jesus looked around and said, let's be clear. My mother and my brothers and sisters are the ones around me, the ones who do the will of God. That's my family. I don't know about you, but that's kind of breathtaking. The Son of God is saying that in the presence of his mama and his brothers. My real family, the family that counts the most at this point in my life, is the people around me who love my Father and who do his will. That's my family. And he's not trying to disown them. What he is acknowledging is there are times when you've got to not live your life based on what mama and daddy want you to do and what your brothers and sisters expect of you. Now, it's beautiful when those two can merge and when your, your earthly biological family are indeed followers and servants of, of Christ. And so they belong to your family of faith. That's the perfect world when those all line up. But they don't always line up. And he's saying, you need to let this family, what Carl was talking about earlier, the ecclesia, not the building, the people who are the church, be your family. And i got to tell you, showing up for an hour and a half on Sunday morning doesn't cut it. This is just an introduction. It's important. What happens here is really important. But this doesn't begin to cut it. And let me say, for those of you who are watching and listening online, I am so glad that you tune in and do this. But it is so critically important that you understand this can never be an adequate substitute for you having a personal connection with other people who share life together with you as followers of Christ. We desperately need that kind of connection. When Paul is writing to Timothy in the passage that we read earlier, he counsels him, be an example to show the believers around you, your church family, how they should live. Show them by what you say, by the way you live, by your love, by your faith, by your pure life. The thing that's so clear in what he's saying there. Is it can't be that just your platform presence is enough. Otherwise, he would have said, show them the way they should live by the way that you preach and teach. That's not what he said at all. The point behind what he's saying is do life with the people who are your church family, your spiritual family, and you let them be so close to you, you be so intimately involved in each other's lives that they know how you live, they know how you talk, they know how you love, they know about your moral integrity, they know whether your thoughts and your words are pure or impure because you're transparent about that. You do life together. You be intimately connected with these people. And I want to tell you, the church is... And the culture are so rapidly moving in a direction that's completely counter to that. We live at a point in time 
where loneliness has become epidemic in America. And that may sound like, okay, whatever. That's not that big a deal. I want to tell you how big of a deal this is. I've done some reading recently, and some of it's based on research. This isn't, nothing that I'm about to share with you comes from some spiritual leader. This is real research that's been done by clinicians and sociologists and and, health care providers who've really looked deeply into the problem of disconnectedness and loneliness in America. I want to just share with you some of the things that they found. They found that across our culture that the average American has, on average, just one friend that they would count, not as a best friend, but just as any kind of close friend at all. An average of one, and that 25% of America says, I don't even have one. Beyond that, of all Americans surveyed, 75% said they are dissatisfied, not happy in where they are in terms of relationships and friendships. Who should be surprised by that? On average, we have one, and a quarter of us don't even have one. And apparently three quarters of us aren't real happy with the one. (laughs) To that, we may just say, well, hate it for you. Try harder. But it's not that big a deal, is it? Oh, it's a very big deal. They've really done in-depth research into what a, an epidemic-type problem loneliness is in our country. And I want to tell you, some of the stuff that they found is shocking, and it's not what you expect. One of the things that they discovered that's so startling is the effects that loneliness is having on mental and physical health of people. Now, we know because of the age that we live in. We know some of the things that you can do that if you just absolutely want to destroy your life, you want to destroy your health, there are things that we just, we already know to do them. And and it's not going to shock anybody to say, if you want to just destroy your health, start smoking, start drinking too much alcohol, and start overeating. And it's guaranteed you'll wreck your health. I mean, those are just a recipe for, for destroying your health. So everybody in America knows that. Nobody's surprised by that. Here's what everybody in America doesn't know. The research has found that people who struggle with a sense of loneliness and isolation, it has such detrimental effects on your health. It is the physical equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes every day of your life. That's how unhealthy it is for you physically to struggle with loneliness. And it is almost as equally detrimental as being severely obese or severely alcoholic. That's how bad loneliness is on you. It increases the likelihood of cognitive dysfunction. It increases the likelihood of Alzheimer's. It increases the rate of heart disease, the rate of depression, and the rate of suicide. Struggling with loneliness. And if that's not surprising enough, here's the real shocker. You want to know who the loneliest people in America are? It's probably those old people in the nursing home, isn't it? feel so sorry for them. You know what the research has found? That generation is the least lonely generation in America. You know who the loneliest... Again, this isn't an opinion deal. This is based on hard research. You know who the loneliest generation in America is? Generation Z. Defined as those who are aged 22 and younger. You want to know who the second loneliest generation in America is? Millennials. It's the next generation, those who are 22 to 36 right now. Statistically, the older a generation is, the less lonely they are. It's not because you become less lonely as you get older. It's because of differences in how the generations have lived. And something has come off the tracks. The younger generations are so incredibly isolated. Now, I know where you expect me to go with this. We all automatically want to go, it's that Facebook. It's that social media. And and that probably does have some impact on it, that we have learned to substitute social media relationships where we're online friends and we click to like rather than actually having social interaction. And, And that probably has a role to play in this. But it's interesting, in the secular research, 
If you want to read more about this, you can go to the uh, American Sociological Review to read more of these studies and stuff. It, it's, it is interesting stuff. But you know what the first thing is that they attribute this difference to that's being reflected so strongly among millennials and Generation Z? I found this so surprising in secular research. The number one thing that they pointed out that's leading to such horrible problems of loneliness is disconnection from the church. That the younger generations have in massive numbers disconnected from doing what we're doing now and doing what we do in small groups and doing what we do when we go on mission trips and when we function together as a family. That Generation Z and Millennials have, I mean, it's just a stair-step thing. Older generations have as, as groups, been dialed into the church and connected to people. And the further down the line we've gone, the more church has become optional. And people who don't get really dialed into a church, when people decide that just watching and listening online is enough of a connection to the church that that's all I need because I got the teaching that I needed, miss out on the most important parts of the deal. Jesus didn't call you to become a pool of knowledge of biblical information. If he did, an online connection might be enough. To belong to God means simply this, that you belong to the family of God. How did we lose this? How did we lose this? To become a follower of Christ, to get saved. Somehow we turned that into, it means getting a ticket. No, it means you belong to the family of God. Salvation is fundamentally about this thing. I was lost and disconnected because of my sin. But now that I have been forgiven, I get to belong to the family of God. All of us have God as our father and one another as brothers and sisters. And we now share life together and it redefines everything. And it's not an option for me to live solo. But what you have to do is devote yourself to pursuing this. To me, if you just had to cherry pick the ten most important verses of the New Testament to define what life and faith are supposed to look like, I'll tell you one that has to make the top ten is Acts 2.42. It's describing what life was like when the church, the ecclesia got birthed. And it simply says this, of these people who suddenly now belongs to the family of God, who had never belonged before, all the believers devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted themselves. Do you hear the commitment in that? Do you hear the discipline? It's like what an athlete has, has to bring every day when they don't want to go to the gym. They don't want to have to run another mile. They don't want to have to do it. But they are devoted to it because you can't have greatness without devotion. And it's why the church has become weak as water in so many of its expressions. Because there isn't devotion. It's this half-hearted, mamby-pamby, oh, I don't know if I feel like it. Who cares if you feel like it or not? You can't have greatness if you just feel which way the wind is blowing to decide how you're going to live your life. If you're going to be exceptional in anything, you've got to be devoted. And if the family of God is going to be the great thing that it was designed to be, we've got to be devoted and he says, all of them, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, doing exactly what we're doing right now. The apostles were the leadership of the church in that day, and they stood up and said, here's what Jesus said, and here's what we understand that to mean. Here's what we need to do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. That Greek word koinonia, it means the sharing of life together. They were devoted to doing together the things that they could just have done on their own. The things that before they had been content to just do on their own. 
I don't know you. I don't belong to you. So we don't have to fool with each other. They decided that when they got saved based on what they had been taught and what Jesus had said, they now belong to each other. So they devoted themselves to, we've got to do things together now that we used to not do together. And they didn't even understand how they became healthier as a result of that, how that began to feed their souls and how they became different because one and one didn't equal two. One and one suddenly equaled something exponentially greater as they began to function together. They devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. We need to go back to making it a discipline to stop and and ask basic questions like, who were we going to ask to go to lunch with us after church this week? Well, it's just easier to just bug out and go do our own thing and then go home. But the early church devoted themselves to sharing meals together. When's the last time you had people in your home? When's the last time that you just went out of your way to include people around you in your life that you didn't have to just because they're your family, your spiritual family? We're dying of loneliness in America today because we have failed to be committed to doing life together. And you can't wait for somebody to bring it to you. You've got to take the initiative. If you want it to be better, you've got to reach out. Get in a small group. Get in a discipleship group. But don't let that be the end. I just go ahead. I'm going to spoil the surprise for you. The emphasis in small group this year is going to be just this. It's going to be getting beyond the mindset of we've got a meeting two hours every week. We're going to eat. We're going to pray. We're going to do a lesson. Then we're going to go home and act like we don't know each other until we bump into each other Sunday morning or we meet for our lesson next week. That is not small group. Small group is designed to be a touch point where people who are committed to each other, committed to doing life together, have a rallying point where we go to God's Word and we share what God is saying and doing in our lives. But that's just one part of it. We are to do life together. And it's going to take commitment to break out of what we have become accustomed to and to begin to function as the family of God again. Don't you want that? Doesn't your soul thirst for that? About six of us do. Seriously. I I, I get it. What I'm describing is so far removed from what we have grown up in for most of us that I think we're kind of like, sounds kind of good. I don't know. Is that possible? Who said that? Because, yes, Richard, it's not easy, and it doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of people working at it. But the payoff is great. Let's pursue it together. And oh, by the way, he says, Timothy, you remember to use the gift that you have within the body. This whole thing of belonging to the family of God isn't just about doing life together, but it's about serving one another. God has gifted you. Are you giving something back? I think we have fallen into a trap many times of saying, well, I just am not sure what my gifts are or how they fit. If you're not crazy about working with kids, and if you're not comfortable singing or teaching or being on stage, and if you're not technically oriented to be in the booth, it's like, I don't guess I've got any place to serve. We need to stop thinking along those lines. I'll tell you one of the most encouraging things that's happened recently, and this is just from in the past five days. In the last five days, three different people unsolicited have reached out to me and, and made the following three comments or question, you know, asked questions or made comments. One said, um, and all three of these people happen to be in the room right now, but one of them said, uh, hey, is it okay if a couple of us use the building on Tuesday nights because in our recovery experience, we have just been burdened to begin to reach out to people who don't want anything to do with the church, and yet we still want to reach them. Could we use the church as a place to begin to meet them where they are and work a very specific plan to progressively introduce them to a Christ-centered plan for recovery and to the church and to the family of God? Do you think it'd be okay to use the building to do that? What do y'all think? Y'all think that would be okay? I think that's way beyond okay. I think that's fantastic. I didn't initiate that. Somebody else said, you know, I keep driving past a house that's got a blue tarp on the roof. 
A blue tarp doesn't keep water out of a house for very long, and it's just been on my heart. I wonder if that's something that we could just, some of us in the church, just tackle. And I don't even know who lives there. You think it'd be okay if I go find out who lives there and if they could use some help and some of us from the church help them out? That sounds like the kind of thing Jesus would be all into. I didn't initiate that. You see, that's the gifts and the passion that somebody gives somebody who's a part of the family of God. And then he begins to touch a heart and go, hey, that blue tarp that looks so ugly on that roof, how about you do something about it? How about you mobilize some people in the church to do something about it? Somebody this morning pulled me aside and said, it's just been on my heart about trying to feed people in need in our feeding people who are going without right now. And I feel like I'm supposed to look into that and see how we could be involved in doing that. Would that be okay? Y'all think that'd be okay? All right. Somebody's got permission to go do that and to then mobilize those in the church who have a calling to help with that, to be a part of that. Do you begin to appreciate what I'm talking about? It's not like there's three or four things that are the holes that you've got to be a pig that specifically fits into that. There are things that God has you concerned about that you may not have even been consciously thinking about this is your calling to serve and yet he shaped you for that run with it start praying it through start talking it through with your small group go with it use your giftedness to serve and then a fifth thing that i'll mention very briefly is this not it's brief not because it's unimportant but we're just going to be very straightforward and simple about this i belong to god and i need to pursue intimacy with him in 2019 paul said in the passage we read but teach yourself to be devoted to god it's an interesting way to put it. You'd think just because of what Jesus has done for you, all that he's done for you, the natural result would be to be devoted to God. Has it worked that way for any of you? didn't work that way for me either. He says you've got to teach yourself, you've got to train yourself to be devoted to God. Training your body helps you in some ways, but devotion to God helps you in every way. It brings you blessings in this life and the future life too. I'll just give you a real simple challenge. I mean, there are a lot of different things that you can do to pursue a deeper relationship with God. But wouldn't you agree that of all the things you could do in 2019 to improve the quality of your life, that pursuing a more intimate relationship with Jesus would trump anything else you could do? So let me give you the simplest challenge that I know of. If you would read Scripture for five minutes a day, you would read with us through every word of the New Testament and all 150 Psalms. The reading plan for this year does that. It's, it's a creative way of covering all the Psalms and all of the New Testament so that we've, we've read it all together. Five minutes a day would do that. How many of you think you've got five minutes a day that you could spare? Wow, I think everybody in the room has got five minutes. Five minutes a day to read the Word. So here's my challenge to you. I'm going to challenge you not just with five minutes. I'm going to challenge you. Just just give it a trial run. Try this for the month of January. And I want you to just see where your life is come February 1st. Not five minutes, but 15 minutes to pursue a more intimate relationship with God. 15 minutes, and I want you to split it up. Five, five, and five. Five minutes to read a specific passage for the day. If you haven't already started the plan with us, you can catch up in less than 30 minutes today. Read Matthew 1 through 4 and Psalm 1 through 4. If you don't have 30 minutes today, just take 10 minutes a day for five days and you'll be caught up. Five minutes to read. Five minutes to pray. Just tell God whatever's on your heart. Five minutes to shut up and listen. I know that's that, that third five minutes that, that scares us the most. Don't be freaked out by that third five minutes. Because here's all I want you to do in those third five minutes. Just shut up. Don't read. Don't talk. Just be quiet. And be quiet in his presence. You can think about what you read. You can think about what is going on in your family. You can think about what needs to happen that day. But just do it in his presence. And the amazing thing is, so many times, as we're just quietly thinking about what we've read, thinking about what's going on, God's voice begins to speak into our circumstances and our lives get recentered and reoriented. Today, five in the Word, five to pray, five to listen. You think you might could for just the rest of this month you have 15 minutes a day to pursue a more intimate relationship with God. Now I want you to take just a second and look back at your outline. 
we've considered our, our role at work and in the neighborhood and the people around us and our families, how we need to make adjustments just for, for our own lives and health, our connection within the family of God, and pursuing a deeper personal relationship with God. Now, you may have come across a dozen things that really could use attention and adjustment in your life. You can't do 12 things. You can't do 10 things. You can't adjust 8 things right now. But the odds are really good that you could make two or three small adjustments, the kind of adjustments that might just take 15 minutes. What two or three things most stirred your heart as we walk through this today? You may want to take your pen and just draw an arrow, circle it, go back to that. But as we go to the Lord in prayer, why don't you ask him to both clarify for you not just that a change needs to be made, but what needs to be changed. And here's the thing. If life is jam-packed right now, something may have to be let go of. God, help me to see. What do I need to, to release so that I can embrace what you have for me? Maybe God spoke to the issue of, of loneliness and disconnection in your life, and yet you don't just see an immediate solution to that. Would you just be willing to be vulnerable enough before God to say, Lord, would you show me the step I need to take to take some initiative to belong? I need some healthy relationships in my life. I mean, how many of you would love to have at least one more really healthy relationship, strong, good friendship in your life? About half of us have got room for that. Good. Why don't you ask God to show you either a person or a step you could take toward that, toward pursuing some healthy relationships? Would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer? Father, we love you and we love that you are a God of new beginnings. And thank you that we just stand at the doorway, just entering into the new things that you have for us in a new year. We thank you for a sense of hope and expectancy that comes with that. But we realize... We have a role to play. We have choices to make, adjustments to be made. And I pray that you just speak in a fresh way into each one of our lives. God, I pray that you'd speak in a way that would help us to see the incredible value of knowing you better. Of being connected to your family. Of taking care of ourselves and serving those around us. As we're just still and quiet in your presence. Would you show us what we need to change and would you pour out the power the strength to make the adjustments we need to make Jesus above all things may we put you first in our lives and may that be reflected in how we invest our time and our money and how we treat people around us continue to speak and work among us we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, we would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.